0: morning, everyone. It's so wonderful to look out from this perspective and see you all. And it's, uh, as Andrew said, it can be a little uh, inspiring of nervousness. But every time when I look out and see your faces and feel what comes back at me, I immediately calm down. So thank you so much. Um, I wanted to say, oh, hello, Zoom. Zoom Sangha. Oh, they're all I love that. Hello. Uh, I wanted to say I dressed up today for you all. I, wish I was very careful to wear a fresh mask. <laughs> so, uh, in Buddhism, we have this concept called the Triple Treasure. Uh, first is the Buddha, the Buddha himself, and his teachings. And then the sense of Buddha nature that is in all of us. We have the Dharma, which are the teachings, what the Buddha said, the writings and scriptures. But beyond that, this, this living experience of the realizations. And we also have the Sangha, which is the spiritual community. So these three elements of the triple treasure call what we often call the three legs of the stool. And to be stable in practice, you need all three legs, and they're all equally important. Um, and we learn to take refuge in the Triple Treasure. So today, I want to focus on the aspect of the Triple Treasure Sangha. And first of all, I want to thank my teacher, Galen Roshi, um, because so much of what I know about Sangha, what I've experienced, um, what I value about Sangha is because of your teachings and your example. Thank you so much. I want to say that I love this Sangha. Um, you are all so precious to me. And I was I've always been looking throughout my life for some kind of community where I could have this really deep connection. and um, I had been part of lots of other communities that called themselves some kind of interconnected community. But I, I thought they felt they felt kind of short for me in terms of what I was looking for. And uh, I mean, no disrespect or no criticism, but it didn't quite satisfy. So uh, when I got here, I said, this is the place. This is for me. And there would be no way for me to totally define exactly what i've gotten from being here because i don't even know and it is beyond my recognition my ability to describe it or even be aware of it but i know it's something really profound Um, and i have to say i have to honestly say that if i had to define what keeps me practicing sangha would definitely be very high on the list Not everything, but high on the list. So what's the definition of Sangha? Sangha in Pali and Sanskrit means uh, to bring together. So originally, as you might know, Sanghas were communities of uh, priests and monks um, who would give up all their possessions, follow the Buddha and, um, and his teachings. But in modern times in America, for sure, The concept concept has become a lot broader, um, including lay practitioners like myself, who practice together alongside priests and monks. And in some definitions, incredibly, anyone interested in Buddhist practice is considered part of a Sangha. Thich Nhat Hanh had this really broad idea that Sangha is more than the people, but it is the walls of this temple. It is the floor it is the grounds, it is for sure our, the pets that live here and the birds and the plants, this all makes up our Sangha. And here at our Zen Center, Sangha is truly an inclusive concept. So you're part of the Sangha if you practice here every day, If you're new to practice, if you're taking a break from practice, if you're one of the founders or this is your very first time. um, We have sangha members all over the world, including Europe, the Middle East, Russia, Japan, South America, all over the United States. Um, Maybe they started here and they've moved to other places. Maybe they've joined us through Zoom. Because in the end, we are all in this world together. And when we practice, we realize there really is no other. No one's left out. So to me, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the importance of sangha. Like for some practitioners, a lot of times when we start, but not always, Um, enlightenment, liberation, and being on the path is this individualized, solitary experience. Uh, Sangha sangha is inconsequential. And maybe it's kind of convenient that we all come together here and hear a Dharma talk, uh, be on Zoom, whatever it is. Um, But really, that is a really limited view of... um, what zen is and what sangha is and zen is a body and mind tradition so to ex- so the experience is only completed when we find what when what we find on our cushions is manifested in our lives and that we live for the benefit of others it's in the sangha that buddha and dharma are manifested You just can't get this experience through books or podcasts or even YouTube. (laughs) Um, The existence of sangha is what makes Buddhism a living spiritual tradition, not just a philosophy. So some teachers would even say that moving forward in practice is impossible without a teacher and a sangha. I don't know but I do believe that something is lost or missing in practicing without a teacher or a Sangha. And actually practice is easier and deeper with the Sangha because we all need a lot of support. I take refuge in this Sangha as a safe, stable and rich place to practice. We need a safe and quiet place, an oasis to come to, to sit in stillness, to quiet our minds and our bodies and reset ourselves. The concept of Sangha includes this idea of protection. We need some protection and maybe we need protection from the distractions of the world and the the things that pull us away from ourselves and our practice. Um, We find that in Sangha. Something really happens when we do this together. It's a place for comfort and joy. Um, People often come to this temple and they talk about the energy that they feel when they walk in here. This kind of peacefulness. People, particularly if if they're new to coming to a Zen center. And I would say that's what Sangha created. That's what we created, that energy. And Auspicious Cloud uh, West is now being co-created. By the beautiful nature there, by the vision of our teacher, and by the people of this sangha. So I heard this. I love to read these stories and apply them to Buddhism. So I heard this story on NPR um, about a scientist who was uh, suddenly dumped by her boyfriend. And she was heartbroken and upset. And she noticed she started getting sick a lot. She started having all these physical ailments. And normally we would just say that that's an emotional response to loss and grief, right? But she wanted to go further. She wanted to study what actually happens to the brain when, as she says, when people get dumped. And so here's what she found out. She found out that when you're in a couple you are co-regulating each other's physical symptoms. You're, uh, you're stimulating and making more peaceful each other all the time. So that when you are left, and especially suddenly, your body is in shock and it has to rebalance. So if any of you have had a broken heart, you might know this experience, right? So I thought, maybe that's what's happening in Sangha. Maybe as we sit together quietly, day after day, hour after hour, we are co-regulating each other's bodily systems without even realizing it. Our systems to get calm, our systems to be happier, our systems to be kinder. Maybe all this is happening in this um, physical realm without our knowledge. Now, all of us who practice for any length of time already know this experience. That something about sitting with each other changes us, even if we're not talking, even if we're hardly interacting verbally. We know something is happening. Um, And we are depending and influencing each other all the time. Here's the other thing. I really depend on Sangha to be here. So um, no matter what's happening in my life, joy, sorrow, loss, anger, whatever it is, I come here and people are sitting calmly, continuously, um, working together, smiling at me, welcoming me, and reminding me, in some way that everything is impermanent and that in this present moment, everything's okay. So I take refuge in the Sangha as a place to interact with all of you wonderful people. The Tibetan use the translation, uh, people or things intent on a constructive goal. So in our community, we are most likely people who are aiming for um, intending to reach all together. Individually, we come here to get liberation from our suffering, to um, practice for the benefit of others, to find enlightenment. We are doing this wholesome practice together. We sit together together. We study together, we work together, we laugh together, we share our stories, our thoughts, our questions. Um, This is how we do it. We share in each other's happiness uh, and sorrows. And this becomes a real kind of intimate connection that we have, even in our silence. We have wonderful teachers, our Abbott, teachers that are brought in, teachers that we hear on Zoom, and we have each other. Um, I have to say that there are so many times that I'm here and someone says something to me. I can look around and see the people who have done this for me, and they say something kind of casually or offhanded or just almost as a parenthesis. And for me, it's a moment of enlightenment, a moment of real clarity, a moment of knowing how to do something differently in a more wholesome way. And for me, that is startling and something that I would not get on my own for sure. And I get to watch other people in their acts of kindness, generosity, or their upright response to a situation. And if you are new to practice or consider yourself new to practice, don't think that your presence is not important. Your beginner's mind, your wholehearted enthusiasm, your curiosity, your wisdom, and even your skepticism really contributes to my practice for sure, because I am reminded to keep these things alive in me too. Sangha acts as a kind of incubator. So as I sit in this Sangha container, my practice grows, it deepens, it matures. Um, Sangha for me is also a kind of of human laboratory. I'm reminded to explore and refine, being mindful, um, being ethical, and to look for Buddha nature in every single thing I see. I call my Dharma friends my lean-in friends because uh, here we're trained to be present and mindful for each other. And I call my friends here lean-in friends because if I say, hey, something's happened to me, they all lean in. They all lean in to know more or to ask more questions or to be there in whatever I feel. And I have a lot of friends, and I don't experience that in – every other place for sure. And I get, have to say, I get to meet such interesting people here, people on a road to doing interesting things, finding interesting things about themselves. It's it's really <coughs> exciting. So since I'm talking about research today, I'll tell you another, another study. So... Um, these researchers studied the happiness of people that belong to religious organizations. And here's what they found. They found that 30% of people who attend religious services weekly report 30% extreme satisfaction with their lives compared to 20% of people who steer clear of religious institutions. So was it because of the teachings? If you're a Christian, is it because you believe in God? Is it because you uh, know all the sutras? Nope. Um, the researchers found that these people are happier because of the friends that they make there. So in fact, people who had three to five close friends in the religious communities were 50% more likely to be extremely satisfied with their lives than non-religious people who have the same number of friends. Could you repeat that? Because I asked the way to read. That's such a nice statistic. Okay. I would love to repeat it. <laughs> so people that attend religious services are 30% more likely to, be, to report being uh, extremely happy with their lives and satisfied uh, compared with 20% of those who steer clear of religious organizations, but it's not because of the teachings or the religious um, um, doctrines or religious teachings that are happening. No, Um, the researchers found it's because of the friends you make. So in fact, if you had three to five close friends in your religious community, you are 50% more likely to say that you're extremely um, satisfied with your life than people who have the same number of friends, not in a religious organization. And those who practice alone, aren't any more likely to say they're happier than people that have no religion at all. So the researchers concluded that what really seems to make people happy is the sense of belonging that comes from a combination of religious identity and religious friends but I think maybe we already knew this too. So if you're here and you haven't felt that yet, I really encourage you to keep coming and open yourself because it's here to receive. Sangha is about relationship and reflection, what we see in ourselves and what we see in each other. So maybe we see the good in a, fellow Sangha member and we remember to see it in ourselves and and maybe we realize our own negative responses and realize we need to work on that. So I, um, I feel I've been saying an awful lot of great things about Sangha and I also need to say that no Sangha including ours is perfect. And that we are a bunch of humans with lots of our own hindrances and limitations. And uh, even though I've been talking about how we really care for each other, the truth is we don't always really like each other. (laughs) And if you look around, you'll find that some people are just downright irritating and difficult for us. And I I don't see any of you here. Okay. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> just saying. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, just kidding. Um, so, how do we work for that? Because, how do we work with that? Because that's a really rare opportunity in itself. So, we welcome it and we say, what is it about this person that's really triggering us? What do I need to look at? And how, in spite of that, it's okay not to like everybody, it's really okay. But in spite of that, how do we treat people that are difficult for us? How do we treat them with respect and love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion and a softened heart to see their Buddha nature too? So in doing that, we become softened and more compassionate. So I think one of the reasons that other communities that I've been in haven't felt quite the same is because there wasn't really enough attention paid to maintaining the community as an important concept. But this is not the case in Zen practice. Sangha is critical. And uh, many efforts are made here and everywhere to ground our practice in Sangha. So we're often given lots of instructions about sangha and and our connections. um, And we have practices to cultivate our sense of sangha. Uh, You may think that garden days and work practice is is about just getting things done. And that's really nice. But it's also about uh, being mindful of our experiences together. Um, We do sashims together, uh, together our minds with each other. Uh, and to gather our minds, but also to be with each other in this practice together. We have a group called Sangha Care in which we um, help people if they're having medical crises or difficulties, helping them with food, with company, with getting them to appointments. These are all ways that we care for our Sangha. And our EPP are entering the path of practice devotes a third of everything they're teaching about practice to the focus of Sangha. So Sangha uh, is very, very important. And if you pay attention, you'll see multiple small ways that we're always <coughs> trying to connect and reconnect with each other. So later today at noon, we're going to have a very important ceremony that Vicki mentioned, jukai. And Jukai is a ceremony in which Zen practitioners formally receive the 16 Bodhisattva precepts as an ongoing path in their lives. It is in receiving the precepts that we make space to allow the precepts to manifest within us. So today, Burke and Sean and Mikko will be receiving the precepts. Also, they'll be receiving their Dharma names, joining our lineage of ancestors, and they can then begin to wear their rakasus. Now they've spent many months and hours sewing these rakasus and preparing for this day. But I say, this is a day for our Sangha too. Because as you participate in the ceremony, I want you to know that we are all with you and that we are holding you and that we are truly doing this all together. And I suspect you might be a little nervous about the ceremony. You have some things you have to know how to do. Um, But as so many of us have felt as we've done the ceremony, there will be so much love for you here today. And I hope that all of you will be able to attend this really, really beautiful ceremony. You're all welcome to come. So after everything I've just explained, I want to say there's no way to fully understand Sangha or what happens to you when you participate in the Sangha. I believe that we come here to realize together, we save all beings together, we find wisdom and compassion together. So my new friend Martin was telling me this story that during his sheen, early in his practice, he had this very, very powerful experience. It meant a lot to him. It was a moment of enlightenment. But later he had another realization, and that was that it couldn't have happened if the Sangha hadn't been around him. But really, really importantly, I want to emphasize that Sangha is not the vehicle. It is the outcome. It is not that we use Sangha as a way to get realization. It is realization itself. So I will say that um, I'll give you this story from the Pali Canon, a conversation between the Buddha and his assistant, Ananda. So Ananda says to the Buddha, venerable one isn't having a good friend the halfway mark um, to the noble path of enlightenment. And the Buddha says, no, Ananda, having good friends is not the halfway mark to the noble path of enlightenment. Ananda, it is the whole path. So I wanna thank you so much for being the Sangha for me today. I'm so grateful for you and thank you for all that you have given to me and in this exchange that we have. And um, I'm, I'm really very, very grateful. Thank you.